All right, brothers and sisters, the praises be to our loving Father that we are again able to study his words and his commandments. Tonight, we're going to go through Daniel chapter 6, and I think most of us are well aware of the story of Daniel in the lion's den. But before we go there, uh, just a few um, reminders. Uh, we came from Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 5, we find the end of Babylon and the beginning of the Persian uh, empire. So this is how Daniel chapter 5 ends. That very night, Belshazzar, the Babylonian king, was killed in Darius. The Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. So we have Darius the Mede. A Mede happens to be one from Iranian descent, ancient Iranians. And before they had a pretty sizable empire until it was conquered by Cyrus the Great, who is a Persian. And so he unified the empires. And so you have the uh, Mede-Persian Empire, and those two combined forces were enough to overcome Babylo the Babylonians. And so we have Persia under the leadership of Cyrus the Great taking over Babylon, and the one who was installed to lead was Darius, a sub-king under Cyrus the Persian. According to archaeology, his real name in secular history is Gubaru. It turns out the name Darius can also be considered as a name slash title because it means holder of the scepter. So Cyrus is the king of the Medo-Persian Empire, and he assigns Darius as the sub-king to be the representative of Cyrus to rule over the Babylon area. And so we are not surprised at, the, at this turn of events because not only was it prophesied in the book of Isaiah, it is also part of the vision that was given to Nebuchadnezzar as interpreted by Daniel himself. If you still remember, the statue represents the succession of one kingdom or empire to the next. And so after Babylon, what comes next is Medo-Persia. So please keep that in mind as we study chapter 6 of the book of Daniel. So chapter 5 represents the end of Babylon, right? And chapter 6 represents the transition from Babylon to Persia. And so we have a transitional period here, out with the old Babylonian administration, and here comes the Mede-Persian administration. And so the one who was installed as the sub-king, Darius, what does he do? Daniel chapter 6, verse 1, Darius the Mede decided to divide the kingdom into 120 provinces, and he appointed a high officer to rule over each province. And so what Darius does is to organize the kingdom into 120 provinces. And he also selected leaders who will oversee the 120 provinces. These are the high officers. However, to help him even more, to organize the kingdom even more, not only did he assign high officers, he also assigned administrators who would oversee the high officers who was included in this appointment. The book of Daniel 6, verse 2, the king also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. And so Daniel, again, is included among those at the upper echelon of governorship. And so he was one of the administrators and because he was chosen to supervise the high officers, 
we know that the king looked favorably upon Daniel. Do you see a pattern here? So many kings have gone, have come and gone, but the one thing that always stays the same is who? Daniel, right? Isn't that awesome? But not only does Daniel continue to excel and abound, what does the king notice about Daniel? The book of Daniel, chapter 6, verse 3, Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. Because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Can you imagine? Daniel, it doesn't matter where he's planted. He blossoms, right? He thrives. And this is something that we can learn from Daniel because how did Daniel start off? How did his career begin? Not in pleasant environments. He began as a slave, right? Because they were conquered by Babylon and they were taken or deported over to Babylon. And from there, that's where his uh, career begins. And so we can see that Daniel was always the one constant of achievement, success, and excellence. It didn't matter what the circumstance was. If there was, it was a time of war, a time of prosperity, a time of threat, it didn't matter. Regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the leader, Daniel was constant. He was always doing something that shows his excellence in work. And so Daniel was again promoted and the king even considered to place him over the entire empire. Now, when you see someone excelling at a high level again and again and again, what is going to happen? There will be people who will become envious, envious or jealous and envy, my friends. It's everywhere, right? People have a tendency to get jealous and especially uh, Daniel he was a target because he was not Mede right he was not Persian right what was he Filipino <laughs> no he was not Filipino what was he he was Hebrew right he was the conquered of the ones they just conquered <laughs> and then he gets promoted and the king is considering placing him over the entire empire and so, you know, it's going to attract a lot of envy, a lot of jealousy. And so when people are jealous, what do they do? Well, this is what happened. Daniel 6, 4 to 5. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way Daniel was handling government affairs. But they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful, always responsible, and completely trustworthy. So they concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. And so those who were jealous of Daniel, what did they do? They wanted to look for a fault to place a blame against him that will cause him to be ruined for life. And so when they looked for a fault, what did they find? The Bible says they could not find anything. And so when they examined uh, Daniel's life, the thing they could not find were faults. The things that they were able to find was something that had to do with his religion. In other words, when people examine the life of Daniel, what they found was Daniel was indeed consistent and reliable in worshiping his 
God. Don't you wish we were like that? I mean, what if someone conducted a search and a question of your life, what would they find? <laughs> if our life was an open book, and nowadays that seems to be possible because, because of the internet, right? If our life was an open book, what would people find about us? If we examine and scrutinize the life of Daniel, what we will find is integrity, right? Daniel was known for his integrity. What is integrity? It basically means being honest with God, honest with other people, and honest with himself. And so he is who he says he is. There's no duplicity in the life of Daniel. He had integrity. He had honesty with God, other people, and himself. Let us practice integrity as people of God, because we can see those who practice integrity, the kings, the leaders, they will promote you. You will succeed in life. You will win favor in the eyes of God, and you will win favor even in the eyes of men. So let us practice integrity at all times. And so when these administrators and other leaders, when they were looking for ways to kind of discredit Daniel and couldn't find anything to fault him with, they had to invent something because they noticed that he would worship God and pray to him three times a day. So what did they come up with? Let's read Daniel 6, 6 to 7. So the administrators and high officers went to the king and said, long live King Darius. We are all in agreement. We administrators, officials, high officers, advisors, and governors, that the king should make a law that will be strictly enforced, give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And so what did the enemies of Daniel, those who were jealous of him, conspired to do because they believed this would bring about the ruin and destruction of Daniel. They decided to come up with a law that they presented to the king. And this law says that no one is allowed to pray to any god except to who? To Darius. And so if you wanted to pray, pray only to Darius. For how long was this law in effect? For 30 long Day. So basically, one month of devotional prayer for the sake of the king, right? And so they're going to dedicate that whole month for the sake of the king. So that's kind of, kind of uh, what do you call it in, in Tagalog? We call that sip-sip, nagpapalakas. Uh, how do you say that in English? Yeah, it's kind of hard to say, right? Not at this program. But you know what, what they're trying to do, right? They're trying to win the favor of the king. And so they're pretending that what they want to do is kind of to elevate the ego of the king. So when the king received this, this uh, suggestion that they come up with this law, that he will be deified. That's basically what it is. The king is going to be deified. He's going to be glorified, right? And so what does uh, the king uh, decide to do? What else do they tell him? Let's read Daniel 6, 8 down to 9. And now your majesty issue and sign this law so it cannot be changed. An official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. So King Darius signed the law. And so this was presented to him. Take note, this was not the idea of Darius. This was the idea of the jealous administrators and the high officers 
who wanted to bring down Daniel, right? And so they come up with this law and they're betting on Daniel being loyal to his God. <laughs> That's what they're doing here. That's why they came up with this law. And so they convince Darius to sign the law and he does sign the law. And what does it mean under Persian rule, under Mede rule, when a king signs a law? It can no longer be revoked. And so that's one big difference between the Babylonian kingdom and the Persian Mede kingdom. Babylon, the, the, the king was an absolute monarch. He had absolute authority. So Nebuchadnezzar was above the law, for example. Belshazzar was above the law. But in Persian Mede rule, the king was not above the law. And so if there was a law, a rule that was made, and it was signed. It can no longer be revoked. And so Darius signs this law, not knowing that it was a plot against his friend Daniel. So what happens when Daniel finds out about this law, that you can no longer pray to God for 30 days? Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. So what did Daniel do when he found out about this law? Did he stop praying to God? No, he continued what he was doing. What was that? To pray and worship God three times a day. Remember, uh, Daniel prayed to God more than just three times a day. He prayed to God always, and we should always pray to God. However, when it says here three times a day, uh, three times a day, it's referring to a formal worship, a formal prayer. He was that committed to the Father, and so he would always devote himself into praising and worshiping God. And how did he pray to Yahuwah Abba with windows open toward Jerusalem? Why did he do that? Why did Daniel continue to pray in this way, even though he knew that if he was caught praying to God, he is going to be cast into the lion's den? First Kings 8, 28 to 30. Yet regard the prayer of your servant and his supplication, O Yahuwah, my God, and listen to the crying, the prayer which your servant is praying before you today that your eyes may be open toward this temple night and day, toward the place of which you said, my name shall be there, that you may hear the prayer which your servant makes toward this place. And may you hear the supplication of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, here in heaven, your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. What we read to you was part of the dedication prayer that Solomon led when they dedicated the temple. Remember that prayer? And in that prayer, Solomon requested Yahuwah Abba that his eyes may be open toward the temple night and day, and that the prayers made toward that place, so even though it wasn't made inside the actual temple, but it was toward the temple, that Yahuwah's eyes and ears will be open towards that place. And so Daniel was simply praying with integrity. He was simply following what was mentioned in this prayer that was approved of but Yahuwah, by Yahuwah Abba when the temple was dedicated 
to him. This is why he prayed with open windows before, the, even if, if it meant people would be able to see him pray, because this is what he was always doing. And so when he was praying, was he caught? Was he found out? Well, let's read Daniel 6, 11. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. You have to understand the situation and the context. The people who created this law, did they know? Daniel prayed three times a day. Did they know? Yeah, it was obvious. That's why they came up with that law. They could not find any fall against Daniel. But what they found was every day he would worship three times the same way. He was reliable in that manner. He was reliable in his worship. And so because of his, his reliability, when it comes to worshiping Abba, they saw the pattern. Hopefully, when people look at our life, they also see the pattern of our life, pattern of worship, a pattern of glorifying Abba, right? Daniel had a pattern of worshiping God. And so the conspirators against Daniel, they knew that pattern. So they devised the law. And when the law was passed, they go back and indeed because Daniel was reliable, what did he do? He prayed, and they caught him praying. And so after he was caught praying, what did these people do? Let's read Daniel 6, 12 to 13. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. Did you not sign a law that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, you your majesty, will be, will be thrown into the den of lions? Yes, the king replied, that decision stands. It's an official law of the Medes and Persians that cannot be revoked. Then he told the king that man Daniel, one of the captives from Judah, is ignoring you and your law. He still prays to his God three times a day. And so when the administrators and the high officers who saw as witnesses that Daniel continues to pray to his God three times a day, what do they do? They go straight to the king and report him. Isn't there a law, O king, that no one can pray for 30 days except to you? Well, this Daniel, who was a captive, he wanted to remind them who Daniel was really about. You can see what their motivation was. They were really jealous because this captive from Judah, how can he be the administrator over all of the empire? And so they were really jealous. And so they said, this captive from Judah, he prays. To God, his God, three times a day, and he defies you and your law. And so what was the reaction of Darius 6 verse 14? Hearing this, the king was deeply troubled. You know why? Because he knew he was, he was duped. He was tricked by these administrators because he had a fondness for Daniel. He liked him a lot. That's why he assigned him and considered him to oversee all of Babylon. So he was troubled. And he tried to think of a way to save Daniel. He spent the rest of the, day, of the day looking for a way to get Daniel out of this predicament. And so he was in this predicament. And really, it was his fault because he wanted to receive the glory that belongs to God for himself. Right? Because who do you pray to? Not to man, but to who? God. But this guy, Darius, because he had an ego, and most kings do have egos, right? He wanted to receive that glory for himself. And so he brings himself and takes Daniel into this predicament. And so now he cannot sleep because he's thinking of a way so that he can save Daniel. So evening comes and what happens? 
In the evening, the men went together to the king and said, Your majesty, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, no law that the king signs can be changed. So at last, the king gave orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to him, may your God, whom you, uh, you serve so faithfully, rescue you. And so when evening came, because by evening, the punishment had to be in effect. And so before evening came, Darius was busy trying to look for a way to save Daniel, but he could not. And so when he was approached by these people, confronting him to implement the law, well, he had no choice. So he, he, he looked for a way to save him, but he could not. And so he tells Daniel, there's nothing I can do. May your God be the one who rescues you. And so he has no way to save Daniel. And so Daniel has to rely on his God. So what happened to Daniel? 6, 17, 18, a stone was brought and placed over the mouth of the den. The king sealed the stone with his own royal seal and the seal of his nobles so that no one could rescue Daniel. Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night fasting. He refused his usual entertainment and couldn't sleep at all that night. And so he was troubled. He couldn't sleep. But you know who could sleep? Even though he was going to be, even though he was in the lion's den, you know who could sleep? <laughs> Daniel. He had a good night's sleep. He was not worried at all. But the, the king, he was worried. He could not sleep. He could not even have his usual entertainment that night, right? And so what happened in the morning? Let's read Daniel 6, 19 to 20. Very early the next morning, the king got up and hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully? able to rescue you from the lions. And so in the morning, as soon as morning comes, Darius is the first one to go to the lion's den. And he shouts, Daniel, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? Isn't that nice when people know that you are the one who serves and worships God faithfully? And so all of these people, the one thing they know about Daniel is how he worshiped, how faithful and loyal he was to God. And if you are faithful and loyal to God, you will not be afraid. You will overcome all things because you will have that peace of God that surpasses all understanding. And so when Darius asks Daniel, he's shouting, he's not sure yet what the answer is going to be, if there's going to be an answer or just the echo of his own voice. And so after he asked, Daniel, uh, was your God able to rescue you? What was the response? Let's read 21 to 23. Daniel answered, long live the king. It wasn't an echo. It was a response from Daniel. Great news. My God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouths so that they would not hurt me. For I have been found innocent in his sight. And I have not wronged you, your majesty. The king was overjoyed in order that Daniel be lifted from the dead. Not a scratch was found on him, for he had trusted in his God. And so when Daniel was cast into the lion's den, and take note, no doubt, the lions were obviously very hungry. And if you're hungry and you're the king of the beasts, so as they say, 
you're going to pounce on meat, right? Daniel was meat. But Daniel, despite the fact he was in the midst of all these hungry lions, he was not harmed. As a matter of fact, there was not even a scratch that was found on him. Isn't that kind of similar to the three Hebrews who was cast into the fiery furnace? There was not even a smell of smoke in their uh, clothing, right? Here, there was not even a scratch found in Daniel. Why? Why was Daniel protected? Because Daniel was not only faithful, he trusted in his God. So brethren, we need to learn this about Daniel. Let us be faithful. And in times of trial, let us show our complete trust in our God. And so God delivers him from the lion's mouth. And so who was overjoyed to see this? Of course, the king, Darius. And so after he finds Daniel's innocent, what does he in turn do? Daniel 6, 24, then the king gave orders to arrest the men who had maliciously accused Daniel. He had them thrown into the lion's den, along with their wives and children. The lions leaped on them and tore them apart before they even hit the floor of the den. And so those who perished under the uh, lion's mouths was not Daniel, but those who maliciously conspired against Daniel. They were the ones who were torn apart by the lions. But the greatest blessing of all was what happens next. What is that? Daniel 6, 25 to 27. Then King Darius sent this message to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Peace and prosperity to you. I decree that everyone throughout my kingdom shall tremble with fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed, and his rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so, because of this event which started out horrifically because nobody wants to be cast into the lion's den. But look at the ending. Who gets glory? Who gets glory? God gets glory. Do you think God would get glory if this event didn't happen at all? No. I mean, at this point, Darius basically ignored God. Now he gives a decree that people all over the world is to worship, is to fear with reverence this God of Daniel, that he had the power to do miraculous signs and wonders, and he rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so God gets the glory. And Daniel, what happens to him? In the last verse of Daniel chapter 6, so Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the Persian. So Daniel prospers. Take note, he's probably 80 plus, maybe 90 years old at this point, right? He's not a young person anymore. He was semi-retired during the reign of Belshazzar. So during, uh, during the day of Nebuchadnezzar, he would prosper, right? During the days of Belshazzar, he prospered. Now during the days of Cyrus, the reign of Cyrus and Darius, he also prospered. Why? Because he was faithful and he was trusting in who? Yahuwah, our God. Do you see a pattern here? So far in our study of the book of Daniel, Daniel chapter 1, the captivity, 
the deportation to Babylon, right? Daniel 2, Daniel 3, Daniel 4, 5, and 6. What pattern do you see? The thing that we see is when the people of God find themselves in the worst possible spots, what is God able to do? He's able to turn what is bad into something that is great. You notice that? This is the power of Yahuwah Amma. He can turn our worst situations and create something good out of that. And this is not surprising because this is what God does. This is what God does with his people as written in Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. So brethren, maybe you're facing something difficult now that you can't explain. Maybe you're praying for something and you're still waiting on God to act. Don't give up. Keep trusting. The best way to learn trust is not by studying the Bible. The best way to learn trust is by being thrusted into the lion's den and not giving up on God. That's when you learn trust. And so there are times when Yahuwah Abba places us in difficult situations because he wants us to learn to trust in God, to trust in him. And when we learn to trust in Abba, you know what happens? Yahuwah Abba is going to deliver us. And the result is that he will be glorified and we will be edified. So Daniel chapter six um, is all about the transition period. What's ending? What's ending? Babylon. What's beginning? Persia, right? So what is happening at this time? When Persia is taking over the land of Babylon, who is behind the scenes orchestrating the events? Who is it? Who's behind the scenes orchestrating this event? Do you think this happened because of the will of man? Did Persia conquer Babylon by chance? Or was there a plan and purpose behind it all? There's a plan, right? Because Isaiah tells us about that plan. Jeremiah tells us about that plan. And what is that plan? Yahuwah is gathering the remnant of his people from Babylon. Remember what happened to the people of God? The people of God, people of Judah, and the people of Israel, right? What happened to the people of Israel? They were taken to Assyria, and they scattered. Most of them go to Ophir. Some go to Africa. Some go to Kurdistan, right? Remember our study? And then the people of Judah, most of them go to where? Babylon. But the prophecy says their stay in Babylon is only seven years. Time will come when Yahuwah is going to cook up a plan. And he's going to take his people out of Babylon. The remnant of his people he's going to take out of Babylon. And he will use Cyrus the Great to carry out his plan and purposes. This is why Persia was able to defeat Babylon without even a fight. This was the work of Yahuwah's hands, right? And so that's what happens. And so Yahuwah has this plan concerning Persia overtaking Babylon. It is to bring the remnant of his people back to Jerusalem. This was fulfilled when the remnant of God's people from Babylon were gathered again where? In Jerusalem, during the days of Ezra and Nehemiah under the dominions of Cyrus and Artaxerxes. So the temple was rebuilt. The walls were rebuilt. And so the remnant of Babylon were gathered again in Jerusalem. The prophecy was fulfilled. But we all know what happened to Judah. 
We all know what happened uh, to the, to the so-called Jews during the days of Yahusha here on earth. They reject who? Messiah. And so the temple was again destroyed. They were again dispersed. No more people of Israel. However, there's a prophecy again about a gathering of the remnant of God's people that we find in the book of Isaiah 11. It shall come to pass in that day that Yahuwah shall set his hand again the second time. What was the first time? When he used Cyrus so that the remnant in Babylon can be gathered again in Judah or in Jerusalem, right? That was the first time. The Bible says, time will come. It shall come to pass that Yahuwah shall set his hand again the second time. When is the second time? In the last days, before the return of our King Yahusha, what will he do? He will set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people who were left from Assyria and Egypt, from Pathros and Cush, from Elam and Shinar, from Hamath, and the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people for the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. And so according to the prophecy, what was happening in Daniel 6, there's going to be a repeat in our time today. Because during the days of Daniel 6, the transitionary, uh, transitionary period from Babylon to Persia had a purpose. It was to gather the remnants of God's people who were in Babylon and bring them to Jerusalem. A second time, Yahuwah was going to do this. But this time, he's going to gather the remnants, not just from Babylon, but from where? From the different places of the world, not just in one area. You see that? Where is he? Where will Yahuwah recover and gather these remnants from? From Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath. What's included? The islands of the sea. So the people from the islands of the sea is included in God's work of gathering the remnant people together. And what banner will they be carrying? Not the banner of any nation, but the banner of the root of Jesse. Who is the root of Jesse? That's Yahushua. And so the banner that will represent them is Yahushua. And so this will be under the name of Yahushua. When will this take place? This will take place during the end times of the last days. This is why we are very excited because we can see that Yahuwah God is already working to gather his people together. Do you see that? What's the proof that Yahuwah Abba is already recovering, that his spirit is moving people from different places throughout the world and bringing them together under one banner? What is the proof that the outcasts of Israel is already being gathered? Let's read the book of Isaiah 56, 4 to 6 and 8. For the sovereign Yahuwah, who brings back the outcasts of Israel, says, I will bring others too, besides my people Israel. Want to pause there for a while. So this is not just Israel, right? This, this also includes other people. 
It doesn't include just those of Israel or Hebrew descent who are in Ophir, the island of the sea, or those who are Hebrew descent who come from some places in Africa or in Kurdistan. This is others included. But how can we recognize this work that is going to happen before Yahusha returns? How can we recognize the outcasts of Israel, the remnants of God's people? How can we recognize them? Bible says, for this is what Yahuwah says, I will bless those eunuchs who keep my Sabbath days holy and who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. That's one. They will keep the Sabbath. What else? I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than the sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. What's number two? They will be given what? A name. A name that's everlasting. What name is that? That is created for God's glory. The name of his son. Yahushua, right? It will never disappear. What else? I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to Yahuwah, who serve him and love his name, who worship him and do not desecrate the Sabbath day of rest and who hold fast to my covenant. And so when we look at the details of what is included in Yahuwah's work of gathering his remnant people during these last days, the Sabbath restored, the name of God restored. They will be called by the name of the Son restored. What do we conclude? It's happening now. Because do we find this in many people today? Yeah, including the assembly of Yahusha. This is why this is added testimony that the work we're doing, this is not our work. This is the work of Abba. We're simply following the teachings of the Bible. We're simply following the lead of the Spirit. As it opens the teachings of the prophecies, and we are simply fulfilling all of that. And so we're studying about this work of God, bringing together the remnant. What can help us so that we who are within this work of Yahuwah Abba in gathering his remnants together, what can help us so that we can have a happy ending, so that we can have a glorious ending? Well, we know that Daniel in prophecy represents the faithful remnant of God in the last days. Remember, prophecy is also pattern, right? Prophecy is pattern. When we studied the book of Micah, we found a pattern that leads to captivity. You don't want to follow that pattern. You want to break that pattern, right? In Daniel chapter 6, we find pattern that does not lead to captivity, but pattern that leads to what? Deliverance. And so we need to look at this pattern because this pattern is Yahuwah's message to us. So that as we follow this pattern, we will be delivered during the difficult times we're going to go through. So that in the end, we shall be embraced by salvation. So what are the elements of that pattern that we found in Daniel 6? Well, we know there was an authority figure pattern who receives the glory that belongs to God, right? That's a pattern that's going to have a parallel during our, day, during our days. There was the pattern of lion's den. What is the counterpart of that during our time? There's the pattern of Daniel's conviction. This is what Yahuwah wants from us. Because Daniel represents the remnant, the faithful remnant. We need to follow his example of conviction. The deliverance of Yahuwah Abba. And the end, God is glorified. So these are the patterns. These are the elements of the prophecy we, found, we find in Daniel 
that's going to be helpful for us because we want to repeat the pattern so that we can find deliverance during the end time. So let's go ahead and take a look at the pattern of the authority figure who receives glory that belongs to God. Remember in Daniel chapter 6, uh, what does the king decree? What law was passed which was approved by the king? Bible says, give orders that for the next 30 days, any person who prays to anyone, divine or human, except to you, your majesty, will be thrown into the den of lions. And so for 30 days, this king, an authority figure by the name of Darius, he's going to receive glory that belongs to who? To God. <laughs> but he's going to bring that for, he's going to take that for himself right? That's a pattern that is repeated throughout scripture. There's always going to be people who will seek the glory that belongs to God for themselves, okay? There's always that person who is going to be typified by this Darius character in Daniel chapter 6. And in 2 Thessalonians, the final iteration of this type is what we call the Antichrist figure. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first, the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. And so there is this figure, which we call the Antichrist. Apostle John tells us that the spirit of the Antichrist has already appeared during the first century, and it's going to repeat that pattern. But there's going to be a final iteration of the Antichrist type that will be fulfilled in the beast in the very final times. But this pattern is going to be found amongst many religious and even non-religious leaders today. During the days of Daniel, it was Darius because he received glory that did not belong to him, belonged only to God. Yahuwah Abba is very particular about that. In Isaiah 42, 8, he says, I am Yahuwah, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another or my praise to idols. In Isaiah 24, 15 and 16, therefore in the east, give glory to Yahuwah. Exalt the name of Yahuwah, the God of Israel, in the islands of the sea, from the ends of the earth, we hear singing glory to the righteous one. But I said, I waste away, I waste away. Woe to me, the treacherous betray with treachery, the treacherous betray. This is a prophecy. Uh, many people call Isaiah 24 as the, the apocalypse Isaiah, because he's telling us about the end times before the end comes. There is that gathering of the remnant of the people of Israel. They will come also from the islands of the sea. And what does Yahuwah God expect from this gathering of remnant people that will begin in the islands of the sea? The Bible says they're supposed to give glory to God. They're supposed to give glory to the righteous one, Abba, Yahuwah. His name is to be glorified, not the name of anyone else. But there are those who are going to betray that and act with treachery. Instead of recognizing Yahuwah and giving glory to him, they will give it to a man. Just like Darius, they will give it to a spiritual figure, a human leader. And so this is what the Bible is telling us. And so we can see that this figure, this authority figure, is also going to be found during our times today. Let's go now to the next one, the lion's den. What is the lion's den's purpose? The Bible says, 
those who will not be, who will not pledge their loyalty and allegiance to the king, they're going to be thrown into the den of lions. So the den of lions was a way to coerce, to invoke fear so that people will be one and pledge their loyalty and allegiance to the king, right? Because if they were not to do that, they're going to be cast into the den of lions. So the den of lions represented some kind of punishment, a threat to cause people out of fear to follow what the king says or what the law says concerning the king. So that's the lion's den. Uh, by the way, many artists depict the lion's den as like a cave, right? But when you look at Babylon, because all of this is taking place in Babylon, not Persia, but in Babylon. In Babylon, it's pretty much a, 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 a plain land, flatlands. There's no caves anywhere near Babylon. And so the den of lions most likely was a place that was built specifically for the purpose of housing lions. And so that was the situation with Daniel in the den. And when this represented the punishment, the threat, right? During our time, those who would refuse um, a, a certain leader's decisions or mandates, what would become of them? Even our King Yahushua tells us about this in John 16, one to two. I have told you this so that you will not give up your faith. You will be expelled from the synagogues. And the time will come when those who kill you will think that by doing this, they are serving God. And so this represents the den of lions. This expulsion from the synagogues, from the worship buildings, it's going to take place. And the people carrying out this expulsion will believe that they're doing this because they're serving who? God. Has this taken place as well? I believe it is. But it's not finished with just expelling them from the synagogue. It would be fine if that was just the case, right? Just expel them from the synagogues. But that's not the only thing. It would not meet the criteria of a lion's den, right? So what would meet the criteria of the ferocity of, of a lion's den? Well, Yahushua is not yet finished. In Matthew chapter 10, uh, 17, 21 to 23, Yahushua warns his disciples that you're going to be like sheep thrown into amidst the wolves. So that's like a lion's den, right? If you read Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, I should have added verse 16, because verse 16 tells us that Yahushua is comparing us to sheep thrown into not the lion's den, but ferocious wolves, which is like the same thing, isn't it? Right? And so, which is what Yahushua says, watch out, for there will be those who will arrest you and take you to court, and they will whip you in the synagogues. People will hand over their own brothers to be put to death, and fathers will do the same to their children. Children will turn against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. But whoever holds out to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, run away uh, to another one. So a pupil should be satisfied to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If the head of the family is called Bilzebul, which means what? Who was Bilzebul? A fallen. They're going to be called fallen angels. The members of the family will be called even worse names. 
Do not be afraid of those who killed the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So what takes what's going to happen in the end times into the level of the ferocity of being cast into a den of lions to complete the parallel between Daniel 6 and the events of today. Yahushua says, not only will you be expelled from the synagogues, they're going to whip you in the synagogues. In other words, they're going to interrogate you. Try to get a confession out of you. What else? They will arrest you. They will use their authority somehow, connected with officials who had the authority to do that. And what else? They're going to take you to court. They're going to sue you. What else? They're going to turn your family members against you. And this is also happening, believe it or not. What else? They will hate you. They will persecute you. They will call you Bilzable or fallen angels and even worse names. And they're going to somehow cause you to be afraid because of their capability. Even to the point that you become afraid you might get killed. That's why Yahusha says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. So all this is the equivalent of what again? The lion's den. So, so far we have the authority figure. We have the lion's den. Daniel, which represents the faithful remnant. What do we need to learn from Daniel? Let's read about his conviction. Daniel chapter six, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open to Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day, just as he had always done giving thanks to his God. So he knows, he knows that you cannot pray anymore to your God, only to Darius. But even then he continued to pray even with his windows open toward Jerusalem. Now here's a question I wanna ask you. Why didn't Daniel hide while praying? I mean, he can still be pointing his windows can still be opened toward Jerusalem, but he can maybe hide behind a sofa, right? Or maybe hide behind a table. Why didn't he hide? Why? Why did Daniel not hide while praying? He's not scared? Okay. What else? Why did Daniel, this is important, brothers and sisters, remember, the purpose of why we're studying Daniel 6 is so that we can repeat his pattern, right? Yahuwah God is giving us his prophecy as a template so that we can be delivered just as Daniel was delivered. And so this is a detail we cannot overlook. Why didn't Daniel hide while praying? Because there was a public declaration of loyalty and allegiance to the king, right? It was publicly made known because it was made into a law that you cannot pray to God, only to the king. This was a public declaration. Take note, by hiding while praying, what will people assume? People will think that Daniel was more loyal to the king than to God because they're watching him, right? And so by hiding while praying, Daniel will give glory to the king Rather than God. Can you imagine? People are going to look for him praying to his God. And they could not find him praying because he was hiding. He was hiding. And when he was hiding and nobody 
saw him praying to his God, what will the people say? Oh, his loyalty is more to the king than to who? God. Do you see that? So by hiding while praying, Daniel would give glory to the king rather than God. And what's worse? By hiding while praying, Daniel would be publicly rejecting who? God. This is why, brethren, if we truly, truly believe in Yahuwah and the work of his son, Yahushua, we should not be afraid. We should not hide our integrity. We should be honest with who? God. Honest with who? Other people. And most of all, honest with who? Yeah, we have to keep our integrity because this is the pattern that was given to us. Do we want to be saved? Do we want to be delivered? Follow the example of Daniel. You believe that what they're doing is wrong. Declare it publicly. You believe that what Yahuwah wants us to do is right. Declare it publicly. Don't hide. Publicly declare it. Is this what Yahushua also wants us to do? Take a look at the counterpart of Daniel's conviction in Matthew 10, 17. We talked about this already, right? We talked about how Yahushua's disciples are likened to sheep cast into wolves. The wolves are going to tear them apart. And so they're going to arrest them, take them to court, whip them in the synagogues, perhaps even kill them. Uh, they're going to cause their friends and loved ones and family members to hate them and persecute them and turn against them. They're going to persecute and hate them. They'll be called names, perhaps Bilzebul, a fallen angel, right? But Yahushua says, do not be afraid. And then after he says, do not be afraid, you know what else Yahushua says? Take a look at this. Yahushua says, those who declare publicly that they belong to me, I will do the same for them before my Father in heaven. But those who reject me publicly, because they're hiding the fact that they belong to him, I will reject before my Father in heaven. And so this is what's written in the Holy Bible. And we're simply presenting to you the pattern. And so if during the days of Daniel, he was loyal and kept his integrity by being public about his loyalty to Abba. We should do the same thing. We should not be afraid of people who can only harm the body, not the soul. This is what Yahushua is teaching us. And so Yahushua says that we must declare publicly we belong to him. He is our king, Mashiach, Yahushua. And so that's conviction, right? And so though when Daniel did this, you know, when he continued to pray, and he did not hide his prayer, prayerful activities. He knew, he knew he was going to be cast into the lion's den, but it didn't matter to him because to him, what was more important was to please Yahuwah Abba. But then what did Yahuwah do? Let's read Daniel 6, 19 and 23. We know not even a scratch was found on him because he trusted who? Yahuwah Abba. And so did God deliver? Did he deliver Daniel? Yeah. But why did God deliver Daniel? Because he trusted in God. Do we trust in God? Or are we thinking, if I will go out in the open and declare my loyalty to Yahuwah and Yahusha, if I will do this, I'm going to lose all my family members. I'm going to lose all my friends. I'm going to lose my business. That's a lack of trust in Abba. Daniel knew what is at stake is life and death. But even then, he obeyed God. He made a public declaration, his loyalty to God, even if it meant having to die. And so he trusted in his God. But did God deliver him? 
Yeah, in a powerful way, right? And when you think about the situation, I mean, Daniel had to go through the persecution. You notice that Daniel was not spared persecution. He was not spared the hatred. I mean, he did everything right. He didn't do anything wrong. There was no fault found against him. But even if you do the right things, even if you do all the right things, there's going to be people who's going to try and ruin you. And so Daniel was not spared the persecution. If you notice, God did not deliver Daniel from the lion's den. Right? He was cast into the lion's den. So don't be surprised that when we take a stand, when we show our conviction for Yahuwah God, we too will be persecuted, hated. And all those things that Yahusha mentioned in Matthew chapter 10 is going to happen to us. The den we're going to be cast into. It's going to happen. But take, a, but take a look at this. God did not deliver Daniel from the lion's den. But God delivered Daniel from where? The lion's mouth. Isn't that fascinating? And you know, the lion today is not in any kind of den. There's a lion today is not in the den. What lion is that? What lion is, uh, is not only roaming around, he's seeking us to be devoured. Who is that lion? First Peter 5, 8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Don't be surprised then that adversities will pop up here and there, that people you once considered friends will turn their backs on you. Be disloyal to you and do the things Yahusha foretold in Matthew chapter 10. It's going to happen because we're in the lion's den and the devil is going to devour us. That's what he wants to do. He wants to devour us. But let's not forget Yahuwah is going to deliver us. You know how Yahuwah is going to deliver us? What is, what will we discover in the lion's den, so to speak? What will we discover in the fiery furnace, so to speak? Zechariah 13, 9. This third, I will bring into the fire. You cannot escape the lion's den. You cannot escape the fiery furnace. Because the Bible says we will go through into the fire. I will refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say they are my people. And they will say, Yahuwah is our God. Did this happen to us? When we were expelled from the synagogue, when all the things mentioned by Yahusha in Matthew 10 happened to us. Yeah, for a while we felt kind of bad. What did we discover? What did we discover? That we could not have discovered if we were still where we came from. What is that? The name of Abba, right? This is why we should be thankful. Yes, we may be cast into the lion's den, but Yahuwah will deliver us from the lion's mouth because we will learn to call upon him as Yahuwah and we will declare Yahuwah is our God. And this was fulfilled in us. God delivered us. And with the blessings of Yahuwah, we now are able to worship and serve him. We're able to glorify him the way he intended us to. Right, which brings us to the last point, the pattern of prophecy in Daniel 6. God is glorified. How was God glorified? After Darius discovers that Daniel did not even have a scratch on him, what does he decree? 
He decrees that in every part of the kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and he endures forever. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And so it has a happy ending, doesn't it? How does it end? It started out bad, but how does it end? It ends with glory. Glorifying who? But this glory would not be possible, right? If Daniel did not have conviction and trust. Think about that. What if Daniel hid himself while he prayed? Would he be cast into the lines then? Would he? <laughs> Probably not, right? But the fact that he was cast into the lion's den provided the opportunity for God to be glorified. People would not be able to know Daniel's God had the power to deliver him from the mouth of the lions if Daniel did not go to the den of the lions. This is why in our life, there will be times when God permits us to experience certain adversities because it's an opportunity. To give glory to God. But when will we be able to give glory to God? When we have the same conviction as Daniel. When we keep trusting in Yahuwah Abba and Yahushua HaMashiach. Even in the midst of pain and suffering. When we're able to do that. We give much glory to Yahuwah and to Yahushua. And so when he was in the lion's den. It was not a really good experience. But he was delivered from the lion's mouth. And you know. Yahuwah showed up just in time, right? Sometimes we wish Yahuwah would show up earlier, but that's not always the case. Oftentimes he shows up just in time. So if you're praying for something, asking for something, expecting something, do not give up because Yahuwah, he may not show up according to your timeline, but he will always show up at the right time because he knows the best time. And so keep trusting in Yahuwah Abba. And so, Think about our situation when we said no to a lot of things and said yes to Yahuwah Abba. We are able now to give glory to him. And this is, in fact, what is in the prophecy. In Isaiah 43, 5 to 7, do not be afraid because I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Bring everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. You are my witnesses, declares Yahuwah. I have chosen you as my servant so that you can know and believe in me and understand that I am the one who did this. No God was formed before me. There will be none after me. And so what is the purpose of Yahuwah in setting us apart? A small remnant. Why are we here today? Not only to carry the name of Yahusha. Because we're going to be called by that name according to prophecy. The prophecy doesn't end. The gathering in the far west or in the far east. No. There's a purpose of this prophecy that must be completed. What is that? We must witness for Yahuwah and for Yahusha. This is why it was necessary for us to know the name. And to know the laws of God, including the Sabbath. So that we can testify of Yahuwah and Yahusha and make his righteousness shine. Isaiah 62, 1-2. For Zion's sake, 
I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings, your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of Yahuwah will bestow. What is the purpose of Yahuwah in bringing us together under the banner of Yahusha as the remnant of God's people in these last days? The purpose is so that as we bear the new name, Yahusha, we will allow the righteousness of God to shine out like the dawn. When Daniel was cast into the lion's den and there was a scratch, no scratch found in him, Yahuwah was glorified and his righteousness began to shine, right? Yahuwah wants us to do the same thing. We may not be cast into a physical lion's den, but we will be cast into persecution and hatred, mockery. People will threaten to part ways from us. That's our lion's den. But in that lion's den, we have the opportunity to make the righteousness of God shine. How? By upholding the law of Abba. By doing what he wants us to do. Even if there's pressure against us. This is why if we truly want to make Yahuwah's righteousness to shine and his salvation to shine, we have to be Yahuwah's witnesses through his son, Yahusha HaMashiach. But for us, this is why when God set apart the remnant, he's looking for a certain quality. What is that? Let's read the final passage of our studies today in the book of 2 Chronicles. The eyes of Yahuwah search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Are we fully committed to Yahuwah? Because that's the quality that Yahuwah is looking for. None of us are perfect, but are we fully committed to him? What does it mean to be fully committed to Yahuwah? It means even if loved ones and friends will persecute us because of our commitment to Yahuwah, we will still continue to abide by Yahuwah. That's the one whose hearts are fully committed to him. They're willing. They're willing to go through persecution. They're willing to go through lion's den for the sake of Yahuwah. Are we willing to go through the lion's den because of Yahuwah? Because if we are, then you're the person Yahuwah God is looking for. The Bible says he's looking. He's searching the whole earth. And what he's looking for is a heart who's fully committed to him. And once he finds that heart that's fully committed to him, what will he do? He's going to strengthen that heart. Why? Because when that person in his strengthened heart, when he obeys the teachings of Yahuwah and publicly declares that he belongs to him, Yahuwah is going to be glorified. This is why if we want the righteousness of God to, to shine forth, let's follow the example of Daniel. Let us not be afraid. Let us not be ashamed. Let us be proud of knowing and understanding God is Yahuwah. Yahuwah is God. And in his son, Yahusha HaMashiach. That's the lesson of Daniel chapter 6. Yahuwah is looking for Daniels. He's looking for people whose hearts are fully committed to him. May Yahuwah bless us. Let us stand and we shall pray together. Everlasting Father. Yes. Almighty and gracious Yahuwah Allahim, yes, 
We glorify you Amen. for you have delivered your people Amen. from the clutches of the roaring lion yes. who seeks every day to devour us yes. because he knows there's limited time. Amen. But you have given us a shepherd, yes. a great shepherd who watches yes. over our souls, our loving Mashiach Yahushua. Thank you, loving Abba, yes. for giving us over under his care. We know we are protected by him. Yes. We are protected by you because we love you and we worship you. Amen. Thank you for disclosing to us your precious name. Yes. We know what this means. You desire somehow a relationship with us. Yes. And when we think about this opportunity, yes. we often ask ourselves, how can we mere human beings have such a relationship with you, yes. the creator of all things. Amen. It is because of your love. Yes, Father. By your love, you created us. Yes. By your love, you have set us apart. Yes. May we not fail you. Help us that our hearts are fully committed to you. Yes. Strengthen us and use us as instruments yes. to proclaim your righteousness. Amen. Loving Mashiach, Yahushua, yes. we need you in our life. So many of those who have upheld righteousness yes. are going through persecution. Please remember us all. Yes. When we are enduring so much, yes. may you visit our hearts. Yes. Please remember those who are going through intense persecution. Yes. Even those whose lives are being threatened. May you protect and preserve us. Yes. Be by our side yes. and pray for us that we may be strong enough that we can always do what is right yes. before Abba's eyes. Amen. Father, thank you for listening to our prayers. Yes. Bless your people throughout the world yes. and empower us with your spirit. Amen. We ask and beg everything, loving Father, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Yahusha HaMashiach. Amen. Amen.